Hello and welcome to the History Film Club, the club for people who really love history, film and TV. I'm Alex von Tunzman, I'm a historian and screenwriter. I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and consultant to film and television. And we have a very exciting applicant to join us at History Film Club this week. Uh, we have Dan Snow. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Hi, Dan. <laughs> Wait, Alex, Dan doesn't have to apply, right, because he is the history guy. So Everyone has to apply to the History Film okay. Club. You know, we have this very rigorous membership procedure. We have to work out if you really, really like history and film. Um, so, so I'm afraid, Dan, there's, there's no fast pass here. Um, I'm sweating up in here. Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, you've been into history for a long time. I mean, what, was film and TV kind of a route into that for you? Uh, I don't think it was, uh, unfashionably. I think that I was I was sold on history. I had a sort of traumatic childhood history relationship and, and developed Stockholm Syndrome, Like then started <laughs> liking it long before I was able to watch history on the television box. So I, I was, you know, I was being thrashed around National Trust properties and HMS Victory as a kind of 18-month-old, having a, a, just a completely miserable time, really not understanding why these old people are making me do this. And then, as I say, got, got, that, got the old Stockholm Syndrome in, started to enjoy it, started to think it was natural, and now inflict it upon my children, the old generational trauma. <laughs> Uh, famously, as I often say, my my youngest little girl, she is she'd been to HM. We had a bit of a, we've had a bit of a COVID slowdown, but she's been to HMS Victory five times by her fourth birthday. <laughs> it's nothing what like replicating the mistakes of your parents, is it, and inflicting the same on your children? It's just yeah, I know it's awful, and they all know it, and it's just terrible. What did she do wrong? What do you mean, Kunzelman? Yeah. That, that's. that's <laughs> Which is probably literally the most remarkable object on planet Earth. But anyway, we're talking about film. But I did, you know, then Sharp. I guess I mean, we. I mean, I guess Sean Bean, Sharp, in a kind of British for for the uh, for the British audience listening to this, that was a a TV. So the first time an ambitious historical drama had been done on TV. It now seems, of course, sort of budget and silly compared to your Game of Thrones TV budgets. But at the time, it was quite exciting. That quite electrifying. I think in the I think in the 80s and 90s, my growing up, history went out of fashion slightly. Alex, you're going to have to correct me, or you're both going to have to correct mm. me, of course. But I think the, there was the big historical epics that my dad used to talk about, like Spartacus and Quo Vadis, that we all found ridiculously aged. Mm. And it mm-hmm. seemed to me that it was the late 90s when Braveheart Gladiator came out and reignited and saving Private Ryan. And I, I'm obviously, obviously, there were films in between, but history didn't feel as big as it's been for the last 20 years when I was growing up in terms of its depiction on the silver screen. Yeah, I mean, well, I think when, you know, for those of us who did grow up in the 80s, um, there was a lot of historical comedy. There were things like Blackadder. Um, which were kind of taking the mickey out of a lot of those previous historical dramas, things like Man for All Seasons and, you know, all of that sort of stuff was was being referenced. And, of course, there was Monty Python, Life of Brian, and all this kind of stuff that we grew up with was kind of mocking those rather pompous earlier historical films. But then, I mean, I think it kind of, the revival probably began a bit in the late, eight, what year was, I think it was 1990, was Dances with Wolves. Which yeah, of course. Yeah, reinvented that sort of you know the Western style and all of that, and I'm sure, you know, you're not a totally dissimilar age from me. You probably remember that coming out. That was very exciting. That was, was I, and I, as a history fan, I was very excited that came out because it allowed me to visualise a past that I've only been reading about so far. It strikes me that probably a lot of this is technical, so ca- technology, CGI, 
multiplication shots. It, it, things became it became easy to put big armies into the field. I assume around that that period as well. But uh, yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, the 1990s seems to be the day of the big epic films that I remember. Maybe that's just because that's when I was going to the cinema, kind of on my own with my <laughs> friends, and you know, it has more meaning. But things like um, Last of the Mohicans and Saving Private Ryan. And Braveheart, I can't remember when Braveheart was, but I remember going to see that at the cinema. Um, and well, yeah, it was that kind of epic. Hannah. You're epic much younger scenes. than me, of course. No, <laughs> should we have a competition? Like, let's not. Well, let's not look each other up on Wikipedia. I was, I, was no. like a, I was in primary school and I was out. What are you on about? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't um, even born, Dan. <laughs> my mum wasn't born when that film was. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, there are probably people listening for whom that's true. So you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, but no, it was, I mean, I think that was kind of a very exciting moment for a lot of us was sort of that '90s revival, and it did. I mean, initially, I think it was there was part of a sort of yeah, there was a sort of a new kind of seriousness about historical films about that time, um, and you know, these very I mean, things like Dance with Wolves is so long, um, and I'm I went to see it twice at the cinema. And then, you know... Well, you're an American historian, what can I say? I mean... Yeah, well, there you go. I mean... 19th century America is in your wheelhouse. I, do, well, I mean, it isn't really. I don't know a thing about cowboys. But, I mean, they're, they're so... Um, you know, it, was, it's, it did reinvent it. And I guess it kind of brought those epics back. And, I mean, I think that was quite... But, you know, there were you as a kid, you say, kind of being dragged around museums and not getting this. So what? how did you feel when you started going to those historical films? Did I, that... I, actually, I actually found them completely electrifying like like paralyzingly exciting uh just fizzing sitting with physics i mean I, i've always found sci-fi uh, and and in fact oddly lots of people think that I, every time someone goes oh it's a it's a history fantasy i go no 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 that's not a category there is no don't, don't there's no hit there is fantasy sure where sometimes there are kind of historical tropes and people have stupid swords that seem far too heavy to actually be used but <laughs> Don't the, no history is entirely separate from fantasy. Don't give me that anyway. So I've never I didn't find that very interesting growing up, and yet the the, the depiction of our past at scale, with extraordinary attention to costume detail, obviously which may have been inaccurate, but but felt uh, rich and and like it like it had like felt real. I found electro like completely electrifying, and so and Private Ryan, Last Mohicans. Gladiator all came out after I was already fully into history. I'd already done my GCSEs, we call them here in the UK. So 16 sort of high school, like sort of late high school exams, people listening in North America. Like, uh, so I was already into history. And so to have that then just felt like a kind of reinforcing, uh, hugely supportive thing to have. Because before that had been historical fiction that I'd, I'd loved reading. And yeah, to, and, and to see the effects whether in Last of the Mohicans, you know, the scalping, the sound engineering mm. in that film. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> uh, and obviously Saving Private Ryan, when that when the ramp goes down at the beginning. And I remember being in this, I'll never forget being in the cinema, and it's the first time we'd ever seen those bullets, the effect of bullets, those the special effects of creating the appearance of bullet travel uh, with the sound engineering as well. And, see, you know, so seeing people's uniforms kind of moving as the bullet passed through, bullets being shot through the water, I, I, it was... Uh, just, I'll never forget it. It was pr very, very important um, in, in sort of uh, on my on my journey towards being an, an, an entire history geek. And um, have there been any more recent films, Dan, that have sort of captured your attention, or should we just live in the nineteen nineties the whole time? Well, we could. Well, should we? We shouldn't ignore the fact, of course, nineteen nineties is the famous Pride and Prejudice on television, which we should. Indeed, ignore it's the wet shirt changed <laughs> the, the shirt history landscape forever. <laughs> yeah, and so I've always loved the. I'm an 18th century, as Hannah knows at heart. So I found that very compelling 
uh, and so that was a sort of so it wasn't all just bullets flying around. I mean, you know, the, the, the sort of richness of that, the time that was given to it uh, was, was beautiful. Different uh, yeah. kinds of flesh in the 1990s is what we're encountering, wasn't it? it was it was all very visceral yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, but that's filmmaking isn't it i mean you see i always think because i like the untouchables we go back and that's kind of early it feels like you know, god knows when it is but mm. uh, and if you, if you look at the special effects and that they're very very primitive you know it's very sort of ketchup bottles splashed on the wall and thing, which at the time was thought to be very advanced so i do think the vi- that the vis the viscerality uh of, yeah. of filmmaking obviously went through a profound change and and more recent films of um uh so 1917 i thought was extraordinary mm. absolutely mm-hmm. extraordinary uh, the again what i like about history films i have to say i'm being a bit of a bore is i love scale i love depictions of scale because it's the thing that i think i find hardest to imagine when i'm reading uh, yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine what a durbar looked like i can't i can't imagine i can't imagine what a, a platform at Auschwitz looked like when when guards are taking dehydrated, exhausted people off trains and separating them, telling them about to be met later, and then just that's the last time you ever see each other. Like I can't. So I find those, and of course we've got Schindler's List as well. Sorry, I keep going back to the nineties, but Schindler's List felt completely new and utterly remarkable. Like that scene where they clear the ghetto, I'd never. Mm. I can't, and Dad would say, "Oh, I, I, you must, you must go back and watch." Uh, you know, some mad, like Anthony and Cleopatra or some mad 50s, like, you know, insane-a-thon. And I'd be like, you've got to be joking. There's a different paradigm here, man. Yeah. Uh, which is you now what my nephew is telling me about, you know, obviously AR and VR, and he's absolutely right. But uh, so, yeah, I, I found 97, I found again to the scale. I, I loved, I love the ambition of filmmaking that allows you to say, no, we're going to put 500 young men into a field and make them run across it. And that's a battalion-sized attack in, in the Great War, which was very common. In fact, that was a kind of small attack. So, uh, I thought, yeah, I love that. I love, oh God, I love the effect of the parachute flares on that scene. <laughs> like hallucinogenic uh, in that in that smashed up town. But, you know, of course, historical inaccuracies. Yes, um, don't tweet me. <laughs> tweet. Well, uh, <laughs> tweet um, me, I'm yeah. Aware, aware <laughs> of the fact that troops wouldn't have relaxed on the side of the trench that was, uh, that was uh, facing, if you like, open to the German trenches because of the carry of rounds. So I've got all that. I've got that. Thank you. But yes, I, but I, I loved it. I found it very, I found that an extraordinary evocation. Well, I was going to ask you about um, that sort of nitpicking accuracy, because obviously this is a thing that comes up again and again with historical films. And of course, you run History Hit, this amazing channel doing kind of history documentaries and really trying to get to the truth of the past. Are you someone who watches history films and goes, that's the wrong model tank, that uniform's wrong? Or are you somebody who just just accepts it, lets it wash over you. No, I'm absolutely not someone who cares about accuracy. Uh, <laughs> even though I just I hate fantasy. So, so although I don't like, although I don't like historical fantasy mashups, I can see that's going to get clipped. Oh God! Um, <laughs> I, I don't like historical fantasy mashups. I do, I do care about fantasy in written scholarly work of history, which is why I like you guys so much. Uh, in film, no, it's drama. I mean, I don't. It's the old, you know, it's the old debate, but. If we went through Shakespeare's Henry V for historical accuracy, we would be disappointed as scholars. But it is that it is one of the greatest acts of 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 screen of screenwriting of of playwriting <laughs> of all time. Uh, it is a, a thing of complete and utter perfection, uh, and, and it's and it's inaccurate. Um, and in the same way, and my God, I bet it's depiction on the stages of 17, of sixteenth. Of, of 16th, early 17th century London was inaccurate as well. Um, and, and so in the same way, it's 
cinema is a victim of his own success is because it's so completely absorbing and brilliant that you think you're watching reality that suddenly it's held to all these standards around whether people relax on one side of a trench or another. So I think it's, I'm, I'm very relaxed about it. I'm, I'm, I am worried about it. Like I find historians go, oh no, it's drama. Don't worry about it. I think it's, it's still, we still need to talk about the place of drama within society because I think lots of people do think about the past in, in ter- through uh, mm-hmm. in written uh, and and spoken and and visual history and, and sort of historical entertainment. So I'm not stupid enough to think it doesn't matter. Like if we make a film saying the Holocaust didn't happen, I think that's problematic. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would agree. But but I also, I'm not super worried about accuracy. Uh, yeah, it's difficult. Uh, I'm obviously, I'm not super worried about, certainly I'm not super worried about accuracy in terms of set design uh, and, and, and sort of uh, some of the more nitpicky stuff. I think mm. films like JFK are obviously problematic. So we can have a, that's a slightly different discussion there. When it, when a, when a, a scriptwriter is actually trying to trying to d- try ha- has motivation that clearly extends beyond that. Just you know that that's a nice dress. It might be twenty years too early. The Duchess of Devonshire wouldn't have worn it. Yeah, I mean, well, I think there's also there's very different motivations. I mean, obviously quite a lot of historical movies are propaganda movies. They're often made by with government funding from all sorts of governments around the world, some of which one might warm to more than others. Um, often they're made with military funding. I mean, it's very hard to make a giant film with lots of, you know, aircraft carriers and so on. You can't just go down to Hertz Rent-A-Car and pick up an aircraft carrier. You know, you've got to negotiate with some kind of military to um, to be lent those things. So that then involves, well, then they get involved in your script. All of this happens. So there's obviously a very different motivation, isn't there, between kind of making a movie with a political intent um, and, and making something historical. Although, of course, politics can happen anyway, often does. In yeah. Even was it going to be entertaining? Who was it that said Top Gun was a feature-length advertisement for Reaganite military policy? <laughs> well, I mean, it is. You know? yeah. And I mean, you know, I, th- I suppose, well, this, the whole, as, as you say correctly, the point is that we actually have to discuss it. And of course, that's what um, this very important club is about. Um, but also, you know, I mean, and, and that's why we need documentaries and we need historians to be public and talk, I think. Um, yeah, it keeps the historians in business every time a film comes out. <laughs> yes. Somebody asks me again. Exactly. Yeah. Rings. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of disappointed. I sort of I, part of me wanted Dan to secretly be watching films, just really shouting at the telly about the tanks and everything, you know, just sort of, and then having this very quiet, you know, like calm public persona of being chilled about history, but then secretly, <laughs> absolutely seething and just throwing things at the telly. Well, Hannah, so I, I know, sort of, you know, I sort of had this different vision. <laughs> We all have our we all have our throw things at the telly or phone throw phones away moments. My, no, my well, I see the things. I'm very unlike you two, of course. I'm actually not a um, academic historian. I'm not a specialist at all, so I actually don't have the forensic level knowledge. My problem is I know enough about history from ancient Assyria to the modern day to have a general appreciation of things. So I don't even notice if the spit if the mark of Spitfire is slightly wrong, um, <laughs> and that makes that means I I can enjoy the films because I'm watching things that I know about, but I don't get put off by the extreme detail. So in a way, my sort of generalist wishy-washy credentials actually help me to enjoy films <laughs> like i can watch lincoln and just go oh yeah i love that speech and not I go really, yeah. that took place on the third of march oh my god <laughs> i really enjoyed lincoln there we go well i'm a big nerd it's it's just the west wing but in the 19th century that's well, great i love anything denver lewis does and i i hugely appreciate his the fact he does a lot of historical content and and mm. 
uh, Lincoln was a thing of complete beauty. I think the way they kind of create that White House, it's such a, it's a different idea of an executive branch, you know, physically the architecture, the, the, the you know, crowded rooms of like, including peti- petitioners that just kind of burst in on Lincoln while he's sitting around doing things with his wife. I mean, it's just a, that that's so profoundly different to the present and was very beautifully um, done mm. in that film, I think. Well, your journalist expertise might make it difficult to answer the next question uh, then, Dan, because we ask all of our um, club members to nominate their favourite film or TV series for our club library. Is there one single drama, like film, television, anything that you can think of that we should archive at the club? Well, actually, I do think Michael Mann's uh, build construction of the frontier in the French Indian War, the Seven Years' War in North America and Last of the Mohicans is, is quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he captures, I think he captures the light and the feel of that beautifully. I've, I've actually talked because I, if I do have a period, it's it's the 18th century and it's probably 18th century North America and or, or kind of Britain and North America. And so I do feel clearly the clearly the sto- like the story didn't happen, but I feel that in terms of the enormously complicated relationships of the indigenous people with the French and the British, the colonists, the uh, styles of fighting, the, and, just, and just the landscape and the light. I, 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 find, I, find, I think that's a completely beautiful and remarkable film. Daniel Day-Lewis was around then as well in the Seven Years' War, so that's always good, isn't it? I mean, thank goodness. I mean, as long as he's I mean I, I, yeah, I also love Glory. I think Denzel in Glory is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. I know less about the I know less about the uh, that unit story, but I, I think it's just an ex- extraordinary film. That one. There's some brilliant stuff out there, but I think Lost the Mohicans is an excellent nomination. I think it should go in the club library. It's brilliant. I mean, I, I'm interested. I haven't seen it for a while. Have you seen it recently? Because I'm interested in how it stands up. I loved it when I first not that saw recently. It. I mean, only about a few days ago. So. Uh, <laughs> that, my sister and I, we bond. My sister Beck, she's a, a historian. She's a history program maker, but she lives in Canada. And she and I have an obsession with that film that we sort of bond over. And it came at an important point of our lives, you know, when we were sort of in our teens. And, and we got into this strange habit. Whenever we went out, we were sort of best friends in our twenties. And when she lived in the UK, and we'd go out to nightclubs and bars, and we'd reenact scenes. She'd get incredibly pissed, and I just see this look <laughs> come into her eye, and I'd be like, "Oh God!" And we'd chatting to some people we just met in the bar, or I was trying to chat to some girls, or whatever. And Beck would just turn around and look at me. I'd be like, "Oh Jesus, she's going to do it." And she would then do the do the run through the glade that Daniel Day Lewis does in it because crowded, crowded nightclubs reminded us both of this ambush scene when the British colonists chopped to pieces. Spoiler alert! And she would just do this run and sort of assault very because if you're a girl, you get away with quite a lot in in nightclub settings. I always find. And she could sort of she jumped on people, assaulted, pretended to scalp them, and chop the back of their knees off and stuff. And then I would have to be Madeline Stowe and be rescued, and she would tomahawk someone in the head. And she'd do that all the time. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> Okay, I think we're going to have to get your sister to the club as well and then have a screening and a kind of, you know, party afterwards. Just so we can (laughs) see that reenacted, that moment, the snows and the nightclub moment. It's just the sort of thing. (laughs) As you said that, guys, I just, you know, this COVID lockdown, we're all doing this remotely, obviously. And it just made me to gather in a cinema and watch some great historical films and have loads of drinks and have fun with all our friends. Wouldn't that be great? It's it's going to happen. It's It's coming. That's that's the plan. But Dan, we also like to ask people who come to our club, because of course it is a very exclusive club. Um, and, you know, there are certain things about historical film and TV that frankly need to be banned. It could be a specific historical film and TV production or just a thing that happens a lot in historical movies that drives you up the wall. 
What will you ban? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, that is <laughs> that is. Re- uh, what would I ban? I would. Be, I definitely would ban. Like, well, I'm, I've gone on about it a lot now, but I would. I would just have a firewall. Like you're watching a historical film, and then like a dragon comes into it or a ghost, and I'm like, what? No. <laughs> you don't need a. You did. Like I, I sat down to watch Pirates of the Caribbean, right? I feel like I'm writing less to the Daily Mail now. And I'm watching a perfectly reasonable introduction featuring very enjoyable long 18th century naval vessels. So, so far, so good. And then a ghost ship arrives. And I walked out of that film. <clears throat> I just couldn't believe it. So I wasn't prepared for that. So, so I would say that. I, I would also, I do find like clumsy, clumsy contemporary mores, like... um you're like the, the sort of uh extra by the way we didn't we haven't talked about the revenant and i do think in terms of mm. filmmaking that first three minutes of the revenant in terms of filmmaking i do feel that kind of almost as a step up like saving private ryan was you know that long shot where you just see this anarchic scene of violence but yeah i do find where, where it's a really kind of visceral brutal world and and you know there's people are enslaved and and yet there's certain contemporary cult like mores that you, you can't you can't betray like all the heroes have to be very uxorious like you you've got to love your wife in america like i'm like come on you just you're breaking every other you're, you're smashing up every other kind of you're, you're shocking us in every other way with the past you know rightly you're holding up the past as a, a mirror to shame us and make us think deep about our humanity but you can't have the guy cheat on his wife okay fine you know like it's so bizarre when that happens <laughs> You know that's all come from some producer, like telling the screenwriter, "No, but we just have to like them. They have to have a nice, be nice. You've got to be relatable." Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you can relatable. enslave all those Africans, and you can shoot, and you can burn down that forest, but do not show the hero like cheating on his wife. That's the the, the test audience is going to hate that, and you're like, yeah. "Really? It's a business. This is what they do." <laughs> I, I don't. There's probably a word for that, but I find that clumsiness really annoying in historical films. Okay, well, I think I mean, we can't totally ban historical fantasy because lots of people love it, but I, I think no, 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 we I certainly like have a warning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> warning. It needs to be well-labeled so I don't have to go and watch it. That's the key. I'm just thinking about your poor kids being dragged out of Pirates of the Caribbean with you going, no, it's a ghost ship, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> um, Dad, we just want to see the pirates. <laughs> I, just wish I, was, I just wish I was joking. <laughs> well, I think with that, um, we can safely conclude Hannah if you agree that I think Dan we would love to welcome you to the History Film Club your membership has been accepted well um do they always say you never want to be a member of a club that which would admit you as a member but this is the exception that proves the rule (laughs) (laughs) and we also like to ask our new members obviously if they would like a a lovely drink from the club bar um perhaps with regard even to some of their historical spe- uh, specialisms and you're a generalist so you've got all of history to choose from um the club bar can make anything you like so uh so what can we offer you well i i my 18th century naval roots uh make me obviously just ask for grog please um which is brilliantly ill-defined because it depends where your ship was serving at the time you're either <laughs> drinking like a pint of rum with it slightly water down in in the caribbean or like in in the Eastern Mediterranean, you're drinking all sorts of like insane racky and sort of ouzo and stuff. So uh, I'll just have a pint of that, thanks. Wonderful. Okay. Dan would have some it is. Misk. Fantastic. Well, we we will serve that up and thank you very much, Dan Snow, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. 
You've been listening to the History Film Club with Alex von Tunzelman, Anna Gregg, and Dan Snow. It was produced by Nat Tapley for Cloning Productions. Fight host Jake Yap. Remember, remember the 5th of November. What was that, date fight co-host Nat Tapley? I said, remember, remember the 5th of November. Do you remember the 5th of November? Of course I do. November the 5th was the day Columbus was first taught about maize by the indigenous people of Cuba. No, not because of that. Oh, because November the 5th is the day that the word binge watch was added to the Collins Dictionary in 2015. No, remember, remember the 5th of November because that's the day that we launched Date Fight! It's a new podcast for every day of the year, which we present our most cogent, reasoned and occasionally shouty arguments to decide what each date should be best remembered for. Every episode features fun historical facts, a vote on the winner and tearful recriminations. I mean, what more could you want? Family-friendly, safe for work and coming to a podcast platform near you on the 5th of November. Remember, remember... Something else happened on the 5th of November. Art Garfunkel's birthday? That's the one.